This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. This program is sponsored by New Zealand Bridge, sponsors of Grassroots Bridge across the nation. Welcome to the Bridge Zone. You're at the table with Barry and Mariana. We are sitting at home. It's nice and sunny at the moment, Barry. We are in level three lockdown. Just saying to Barry that I feel that COVID, it's almost like a dimmer switch. When you turn it on, you can have it nice and bright. And then as the COVID levels get applied, it gets dimmer and dimmer. But we are wanting to just let you know about our Congress that we're hosting at the Hamilton Bridge Club. At this stage, Barry, the lights are on. They are. We would love to go ahead with our Congress. It's looking less likely that we'll be able to have Aucklanders there, and they usually support us in big numbers. And there's also a bit of a worry about the Waikato as well now. We'd still like to think we can go ahead with it. We'll wait another week before we know a little more, I guess, and how the numbers have stacked up. But we, we certainly would love to hold Labor Weekend Congress in Hamilton. Even if it was in diminished numbers, eh? like you said, we also need to have a directive about some folks from Northland because we have got some from the Upper North Island and whether or not they can actually continue with their entries, having to travel through Auckland to get to us. So we're a bit uncertain about that. And again, we'd have to wait until we get further information. But next Monday, the match committee at Hamilton are meeting and we are going to decide what the next steps are. So we will keep you posted, but like Barry said, absolutely, fingers and toes crossed, hoping that we could go ahead with the tournament at whatever scale. That'd be right, Barry? Yeah, it might be more a government that decides this, or COVID, than the Hamilton Bridge Club, unfortunately. We'd love to go ahead with it. And Julie is featuring in the show as well, not only as Judge Julie, but as Julie... Atkinson, she is giving us a rundown on what's happening with Auckland Bridge Club's movement away from BBO at this stage into Real Bridge, so you'll get a little bit more information about that. Let's go and do some bridge zone things, Barry. We've got a question from a listener about... Yeah, it's all about count, Mariana. When I, when I learned to play bridge, they said that if you could count to 13, you could, you could be a good bridge player. Can you count to 13, Mariana, or do you have to take your shoes and socks off? <laughs> I can do it in my sleep, Barry. <laughs> Why do people give count and how do they do it? You know, how do you think that works? I mean, do you, you give count with many of your partners, Mariana? No, I don't really. What does that mean? I think it's more when you are when you're just following suit, which is what you do quite a lot of the time during a yep. bridge hand, people have different meanings for when they play a higher card and then a lower card. People play what they call natural count, where if you've got four cards in a suit, you play a higher one before a lower one. If you've got queen, nine, eight, seven, the first time you play to that suit, if you're not involved in trying to win the trick, this is, you play the eight, and then the next time you play the seven, to so say you've got an even number. Play what they call reverse count, do the reverse. They play a low card by, by a high card, which says that you have an even number of the suit. And the same thing happens with an odd number. If you're playing natural count, once again, you'd play a, your lower card followed by a higher card. That would show an odd number of cards in the suit. And if you're playing reverse count, 
you play a higher card followed by a lower card to show an odd number in the set. So what the benefit of this is that if it helps you, and it, and it is a bit of hard work to do this, but it will help you to count out the hand. If you can work out, you obviously won't know whether for sure whether the partner's got two or whether they've got four, or even whether they've got six. But usually from the bidding and from some of the play, you can work out how many cards partner is likely to hold in a suit. You know it's an even number or an odd number, and you have to just now work out whether it's four or whether it's two or whether it's three or whether it's five. And then you can hopefully work out the shape of partner's hand. If you do go to all this trouble of finding out the shape of partner's hand, you know the shape of your hand, and you know the shape of dummy, so that means you know the shape of declarer's hand. It does make defending a lot easier, but it does involve a bit of work and a bit of thinking. Mm. But you're up for that, aren't you, Mariana? Always up for thinking, Barry. There's so many things to think about. Maybe I could. Maybe that could be 2022's thing. Learn something new every year. Maybe I could do count. You will find it hard work to start with. And sometimes you just can't afford to give count. A lot of times you've got lots of little cards you can afford to play. It doesn't matter really whether you play the seven or whether you play the five. But there are times when you need to keep your high cards. You just cannot afford to throw one of them out to tell partner that you've got an odd number. Say you've got something like jack 10 small or queen 10 small and you're playing reverse count. The last thing you want to do is throw out that 10. So you, you just cannot give count in those situations. It does take second fiddle sometimes to what's practical. There are lots of occasions when it is useful. One of the most common ones is when there's a long suit in dummy. Right. Which you hold the ace of. If you take your ace immediately, declarer has no further problems. They can get to this suit. But if you can hold it up until you know declarer's out of that suit, because your partner's given count, so you'll know your partner's got three. So you'll know that declarer's only got two. So you can actually take it on the second round and, mm. and cut declarer off from that suit. But if you don't have count, you might wait till the third round and, and let declarer have an extra trick that you didn't have to let them have. Mm. Sounds a bit complicated. If you start doing it, it, actually, it is actually a good thing to do and it will help your defence immeasurably. I also have, this is the question from the listener, is why when you have top of sequence, you leave top. And yet, if you have ace-king bear, you leave the king first and then the ace, instead of the ace and then the king. It's a good question. It's relatively simple. If you've got doubleton ace-king and you play the ace followed by the king, the partner will assume that you've got another one. Fine. If you play the king followed by the ace, partner is going to think, hang on, we played top of the sequence. Why has partner played them in that way? It's because partner's only got two of them and they're perhaps looking for a rough or something, but they certainly want their partner to know that they've only got two of that suit. That might be helpful in that they maybe partner can get in and give you a rough, but also if they know you've only got two, it's going to give them, your partner a complete count on that suit. They'll know exactly you've got two, there's four in dummy, they've got four, so declarer must have three. So that's the reason for doing that. It's just to help partner out. Partners need help, Mariana. We all know that. Yeah, and the other part of the question was, yes, you can do that on ace-king bear. Can you do it on king-queen bear as well? No. If you leave the queen, partner will not think you've got the king. The other snag with playing the queen from queen-king is, if it goes small, your partner's likely to play the ace on your queen when the queen would have won. So not a good idea to do it with king-queen. There you go. Very good answer. If you don't like my answers, don't forget to email us, bridgezoneshuffle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from somebody that hates my answers, Mariana. <laughs> 
Oh, there could be a few of them. We will see. If I we're going to be talking with Julie about Real Bridge. And there could possibly be a battle between BBO and Real Bridge soon. Have a listen. See what you think. People are wondering what's happened to Patrick. He's disappeared off BBO. Well, actually, the Auckland Bridge Club has investigated Real Bridge. We're now running things on the new platform, which is called Real Bridge, which uses video and camera and is very much like sitting down at the club, which we're not able to do in Auckland and won't be able to do for who knows how long. We've transferred over. He may still run the Sunday night one. That is a bit up in the air at the moment. He got an email from Diane on Bridge Base Online to say that it was a real brand apparently being well recognized and that they would be very sorry if that he wasn't continuing doing it he is considering doing something at midnight i think was his last statement but it's all up in the air (laughs) and we will let people know if he is he does a lot with bbo with commentary and things as well it was rather nice to get that acknowledgement from bbo you know very very good so we are continuing with them and they are being run in akbc.co.nz if you go there, it'll give you all the details. A number of people, I'm sure, have noticed Patrick was missing, and I'm sure the first thing they thought was, what has Judge Julie done to him? I'm sure that's what they were thinking. She's locked him <laughs> in a cupboard. Just a question about this real bridge. I know that there's the links that you've got on the Auckland Bridge Club website. How can you actually go in and have a little practice before that? Can you use those same links or... Are those just for the games that you're running no, on those sessions? No, they actually do have teaser sessions, I think they're called, that you can go on and practice. We open up about half an hour before play start. If you go in on that link, you can go in and see and then you can leave. We will be allowing kibitzing, apparently, which starts 30 minutes after the session. Unlike BBO, you cannot kibitz in real time. There is a 30-minute delay so that when you come on, you're watching what has happened in the past. That's for security reasons, Julie. For the next couple of weeks, I understand you said that there's no cost at this stage. At the moment, the Auckland Bridge is trialling it and they're looking at what they will do as we proceed. But at the moment, we've got a couple of weeks where we'll come along and try it and see what you think of it. We would be probably interested in people if they're interested in having an online, as far as the club is concerned, we probably wouldn't mind emails. But at the moment, absolutely just come along and try it. Waikato Bays have opened up the number of tournaments that they're hosting on BBO and last night Nick had 40. So he had a full house last night and I would say that was potentially some stragglers that didn't realise that Auckland weren't online last night. They are looking at opening up two more night sessions. Yeah, it's excellent. Waikato and Westport. Wayne Smith, have tournaments open to everybody. There are a few clubs that have tournaments that are restrictive for various reasons. Sometimes it's the level of player like, and others it's um, just for club members. That's brilliant. Thank you guys, by the way, from us. Okay, so talk about what you did on the weekend, playing in that Margaret... The Margaret Beck Memorial Teams. All our Australian listeners will know Margaret Beck. She was a many-time Australian representative. I think she might have played for Australia 31 times. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that is a record, and I don't think anybody else has ever played that many times for Australia. Oh, 
Brilliant. So there were 30 teams. You couldn't pronounce some of the names on some of the teams. And you did a fairly good showing, didn't you? Yeah, we were pretty happy with our result. Yeah, we didn't really think we would make the top four. The top four qualified for the semifinals. But yes, we managed to, to make the top four. So that was a good result for the New Zealand mixed team. Mm-hmm. Very happy with that. And ended up runner-up in the program. That was brilliant. We played the semi-final against the Thompson team, who had been unbeaten up till then and had been just thrashing everybody. They were about 30-something VPs ahead of the field. Good news for us. The event didn't have much carryover, so they just had a point one of a start against us. So we managed to beat them and make the final. The final, we were, we were okay for a little while. With nine boards to go, we were only seven imps behind, so it was pretty close at that stage, but we just... There were no big losses on either hands, but lots of dribs and drabs, and we, we lost by quite a long way in the finish. It's good to see the mixed team hitting the podium. That's all we want for a scone, isn't it? That's right. Hey, and welcome to the Ashton team. They deserve to win it. Played very well, and they took out the $2,000 prize money. Oh, that's a nice tournament to win. Hey, tell me, how many boards did you end up playing each pair? So you've got three pairs. You've got the Joneses, the Fishers, and the Simpsons. Approximately how many did you play each? I'd say 96. Oof, a big commitment, isn't it? Over the three days. Well, it wasn't too bad. Having a six-man team certainly eases the pressure a little bit. Interesting yeah. subject. That you want to have a four-person team or a six-person team. Quite often you find that, as a four-person team, you can probably cope quite well for a while, but I'm sure when you start to get towards the end, even if you don't think so, you probably start to feel the pain a little bit. Do you have a favourite board of the weekend? I did have one hand that I didn't do particularly well on. It was an amazing hand. We don't usually give hands on the bridge zone, but this one's pretty easy to look at. I had eight spades to the king-queen-jack-10-9 and four hearts to the ace-king-queen, oh. a singleton club or diamond, I can't remember which. Pretty amazing hand. I was just thinking I was going to open this, and somebody on my right they opened one club, which was a strong precision club showing 16-plus points. Oh. oh. Wow. This is hard. You're going to find this hard to believe, but my agreement with Jenny is that with strong hands, we don't bid initially over one club. A lot of people have this agreement. A lot of people tend to bid just with shapely hands. Not that this one wasn't shapely. It certainly was. So I actually passed one club knowing I was going to get to bid again. Went one club and then it went one diamond on my left showing not a very good hand, less than seven points or something. And then it went past two clubs showing it was a minimum two club openers, sort of 15 to 17 or something like that, and long clubs. And I just bid four spades in the end. I mean, I knew I was going to make four spades. And right. anyway, they led and partner put down her dummy and she had just a doubleton heart. I could rough one of my hearts, and she had ace and another spade. So Ooh. six spades, absolutely cold. But of course, I was only in four. I don't know how people cope with the hand. Somebody suggested that a bit of five spades might have been a good idea. Thank partner, have you got anything at all? Bid six. It was a tough hand. A couple of people did just guess to bid six, and they got lucky. That was mm-hmm. good. Three cans like that are notoriously hard to know what to do on. Absolutely. Sometimes any, anything could be right. <laughs> All right, well, let's head off and listen to Kermit. Get your gumboots on, we're going down to the pond. Manamana. 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 What's this? It's Kermit's Bridge Tips with Pam Livingston. Good morning, Kermit. Hi there. 
What's the tip for this week, Kermit? Well, I'm going to digress for a minute, Barry, and delay my tip because I just really want to say to you and your wonderful mixed team, congratulations on the weekend in the Margaret Burke Invitational Teams. It was a very impressive field, and we were talking the other day that we'd be very happy with a a top half finish, would be a good result, and you, Bloomin', were runner-up. Well, I'm just so pleased for you and your team. Congratulations. Thank you, Pam. We had a ball. We had a blast, I tell you. And when we actually made the last four, we were absolutely stoked. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, we were pretty excited. We all sat around the table with glasses of wine and stuff. It was, Real Bridge is a great platform. Isn't it good? I particularly enjoyed a couple of things, apart from the standard of the bridge, which I loved it, you know, because my tip the other week is play the toughest opponents you could find, and they were pretty tough. But you could talk to your opponents and go back to your home table at the end and talk to your teammates and have a bit of a post-mortem and a bit of a laugh if there was a bit of a stuff up and... um, a bit of a chat, so it was really, really team, You could have a, another pair come and you could all sit around the same table, all six of you, which was after a match and talk. That was great. Great event, and as I say once again, congratulations to you guys. It was great effort. So I'm not sure whether I should be giving the tip this week, Barry. <laughs> um, I kind of thought maybe you should. You go for it. I'll go <laughs> for it. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a tip. That was inspired by a head in the first match that I played on the weekend. And my tip is a little disappointed with what you see in dummy, never give up. Sometimes we get a dummy that we're disappointed in, and it's not necessarily disappointed in what partners bid, but sometimes you bid to a slam and you've got a duplication of values or you're somewhere reasonable, but when it goes down, it doesn't actually look that good. Well, First of all, something good might happen. The bridge gods might smile on you, which is what happened to me. But then also the opponents have to defend this contract and they can't see what you can see. So (laughs) they can't see that this is not a very good contract because they can't see your hand. So what I say to you is never give up and keep trying till the bitter end. My particular contract was successful when the King of Diamonds came down and the Trumps were 3-2. That's not a great slam, but you know what? It was a making slam. Never give up. (laughs) Hey, I think it might have been Bob Hammond said that any making slam is a good slam. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, look, we all know some pretty good contracts have gone down over the years and some pretty bad ones have made. That's right. So just hunker down and give it your best shot. And one thing I would say is not a really good thing to do is to look at dummy and think about what partners should have bid. It's too late. That's what you've got. (laughs) So just make your 12 tricks or your 10 tricks or your eight tricks. That's what you've got. (laughs) It's true. Often in the auction, you're sort of thinking, well, if partners got the queen of clubs and maybe the king of diamonds... This would be a great contract. And, of course, partner puts down the Queen of Hearts and the King of Spades, and you think, "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) Never give up. Life is tough sometimes. It isn't always easy being green, is it, Kermit? No, no, it's not. Although Boris Johnson would disagree. He's probably a pretty lousy bridge player, though. Thank you, Pam. Catch Kermit next week for another tip. See you. 
coming up next, we're heading off to the courthouse. Director, please. How can I help? Judge Julie presiding. Good morning, Judge. Morning. So you're allowed to go on picnics now, I hear. Yeah, but it's raining. (laughs) (laughs) I'm too busy to go on picnics, Barry. Going to rain all week in Auckland. I, I think that it's given people an opportunity to do a wee bit more, which they probably need because it really is ongoing a lot, but it's not really changing anything. So back to more mundane issues, we'll get back to bridge. Some people are playing bridge, and I think there's even some tournaments likely to be getting held further down the island. For new players to tournaments, like junior players... When they go along and play in a junior tournament, are there any restrictions on what they're allowed to play? What's the story there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, clearly, the less experienced you are, the more difficult it is when people throw weird and wonderful things at you. And the multi is actually one of the classic examples, particularly internationally, actually. We want people, when they start to play at club level to be relatively protected about what they come across. I actually had someone ring me today that accidentally played in the tournament last night and they said it was terrifying. They're at the beginner's class and people asked them to explain things and they didn't even know what that meant, let alone what people were playing. She said some people were really wonderful and others were really cutthroat. No one apparently was rude, so that was an excellent start to the conversation. But clearly, we don't want beginners coming up against Patrick and I playing a relay system, a very highly conventional system. I mean, it's just bewildering and terrifying. So we have regulations around what can and can't be played. And during the tournaments, you are allowed to play green systems. These are systems that are effectively natural, You can play like a two-plus club with five-card majors. You can play precision, which is where one club is a strong hand, but it's got to be pretty simple. You're not allowed to play the multi-two, which has got some optional extras into it, and you're limited in what you can play with other things. And particularly, the idea is that the bidding is pretty natural. Things mean what they appear to mean. Conventions that are used are ones that are expected. And there is an intent around these regulations because we can't list every convention, let alone everything that people make up. So the idea is that people are playing effectively natural systems and it is relaxing for them and enjoyable. When we get to intermediates, we're allowed to play a multi-two diamond. In New Zealand, it is such a common convention that we allow it to be played from intermediate tournaments upwards. You're allowed to play some more complex systems and what you can and can't do around point ranges with Michaels and other bits and pieces. And internationally, you actually can't play a multi except at some pretty high-level events, is my understanding. I think the Americans really restricted. So it's quite incredible how different different countries are about how they protect. In other countries, you can have people protected because they're inexperienced and they when you play them, you've got to change your system to be one that's appropriate to them. We regulate our tournaments. So that is why 3B, which is junior systems, a 5B, which is intermediate, intermediate systems, doesn't matter whether you're junior or intermediate, you can play anything up to and including intermediate systems. A 8B is also intermediate systems, but is open to a wider group of people, open players and others, but they aren't allowed to play more complex systems. It's still limited 
to intermediate systems. And then with the A-point tournaments are open. But even at open level, we are not allowed to play truly unusual stuff where bids might mean nothing. Um, and there was a real passion about playing what's called thirds, which is I really enjoyed playing personally, where an opening bid was less than about eight high card points, a particular opening bid was less than about eight high card points. I found it a fun system to play, but clearly it creates issues for your opponents about what they need to do to defend it or not. We're only allowed to play systems like that when we play teams events of eight or more boards against the same pair, and it has to be in an open event. And it's very clear what the rules are around it as well. The rules are so restrictive by losing seating rights and other things, most people don't play those systems anymore. I mean, your juniors are still allowed to play the things they used to, Julie, like they're allowed to play artificial things like stamen and transfers, common things like that. Yeah, junior tournaments, we're allowed all green systems, which is alcohol with, you know, two or three card club suit, three card diamond suit and four or five card majors. We're not allowed the multi-two. We're allowed very simple precision. A two-no-trump opening must show a strong hand with no singleton or void. And we have pages of this. The 50, which I think is a wee bit better, gives you a side-by-side for junior and intermediate about the things that you can play. And it's D50 in the manual. And it's a bit clearer, like one club must be at least two cards or the precision I said. One diamond must be at least three cards. A heart and a spade must be at least four cards, irrespective of junior and intermediate. A no trump must be balanced 11 plus, so your range will come into there somewhere. Two clubs must be very strong enforcing in any distribution, or it might be a precision one, which we won't worry about here. But if you're intermediate, it can be a multi. Two diamonds, at least five cards, with, or a week with at least six cards, and so on and so forth down the list. It is pretty much, for juniors, what we teach you with some variation on system that people learn depending on where they learn to play, who they learn to play with. If anybody is locked up and can't go for a picnic and want to have a look and thinking about playing a junior tournament, they can look up in the New Zealand Bridge Manual. It's the New Zealand Bridge Manual. It is actually page D5050. It is available online from the New Zealand Bridge homepage, you will see that there are various things you can access and resources is one of them and they have New Zealand Bridge stock and the manual will be somewhere in that list. Pretty straightforward, Barry. <laughs> for those of you who want to know about master points, it will describe them. And for those of you who really like to know exactly how many master points everyone is getting, then you can look up how they're allocated for various events that are played. And I remember getting a phone call from someone congratulating me on becoming a gold grandmaster when I played an 8B tournament a few years ago before I even knew that I had become a gold grandmaster. I mean, we've got a couple of people that will tell you exactly how many A points you've managed to get last weekend. So oh, Blair Fisher will be one of them. You'd be one of them, wouldn't you? Be one of them. <laughs> They'd be calculated before you walked out the door. Yeah. Are so, you going Blair and ask him? He knows. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for those that like data, there's a lot of data. There's a lot of information. It can be a bit of a mission finding it sometimes, but I think that's being worked on. Thank you for that. Well, that's it. Another week on the Bridge Zone. COVID Level 3 in the Waikato. Hopefully we'll get...
get to actually go back to the club and play. We had how many sessions? Four sessions held at Hamilton Bridge Club last week and now none this week. And fingers crossed they might go back again. Yeah, hey, good luck wherever anybody's playing bridge, whether it's at the club. I think there might even be a tournament or two on somewhere down the line there. Um, or if you're playing on BBO or Real Bridge, there's lots of options. Or if, even if you're not playing at all, great weekend. Send in an email, bridgezoneshuffle at gmail.com if you've played on Real Bridge and what you think about it. That's it from me. See you next week. Bye for now. New Zealand Bridge, sponsoring bridge from beginner to international nationwide. more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.